Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has some questions. In short, the program's designed for, well, for me. There's a lot I don't understand. Now, it doesn't have to be something soul-shaking, or it might be something that's just been on my mind for a while, and I want to talk about it. Rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes I find that a casual front porch-style talk with a pastor is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. Now, I have my questions I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that's area code 314-8210850 or toll free anywhere in North America at 800-720, pardon me, 730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Pastor, for listeners who might not be familiar with you or your church, just a little bit of background about who you are and about your congregations. Sure. Uh, well, I'm uh, Pastor Andrew Price, as you mentioned. Um, I live in Guttenberg, Iowa. I'm a pastor of a dual parish with, uh, that is two congregations with uh, that share a pastor. And so the one is here in Guttenberg, a Trinity Lutheran Church, and the other is up in McGregor, Iowa, um, which is about 20 miles north of of here at St. Paul Lutheran Church. Um I've been a pastor for 3 years. I have I have uh, been married for 8 years and I have four children. Oh, you got quite a few there. <laughs> yeah. Well, pastor, you know, I, the, today's topic is something that's been it's been bugging me a little bit and it really came to a head about 2 or 3 days ago. I was talking to a coworker and friend, uh, Andy Bates, who does some programs here, does Faith and Family. And Andy, as you may know, is a deacon. So he's got uh, he's got a little more training than I do. I'm just a congregant. You know, I went to confirmation, Luke, uh, went to the Walther League, things like that. But that's as far as I went. And what happened was, is we were talking about some points of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I wound up responding to him over one particular point, saying that, you know, I was born a Lutheran. I've been a Lutheran all my life. And I still don't really know what it means to be a Lutheran. And uh, that really took me aback. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I, I do the, the I do the confession. I do the whole thing. But what does it mean to be a Lutheran? You know, for example, uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there, not just among Lutherans, but among non-Lutherans. I had a a Catholic the other day. Uh, we were talking about religion, and she said to me, "Well, you ob- you think that uh, Pope Francis is the Antichrist." <laughs> <laughs> wow, where do I go from there? What is a Lutheran pastor? Uh, well, a Lutheran is someone, to put it simply, is someone who who believes that the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God, and that uh, the Bible is about Christ and what He did to save us from our sins, and that we are not righteous before God by anything else than that Christ, the faith in that Christ, uh, who uh, is revealed by the Scriptures. But there are some yeah. there are, uh, some very specific tenets of things that we do and do not believe in. Uh, communion, for example, that's one thing where we differ from the Catholics and from many uh, other Protestant denominations. W- what do we review as, the, as communion? 
Well, I mean, to, to look at the, the distinctive, you know, to distinguish us from the Roman Catholics, um, we'll start there. You mentioned the Pope being the Antichrist. Um, yeah, I mean, that takes that, 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 that requires us to really understand what we mean by Antichrist. But let's start with, with communion, because this is re- very much related to that issue of Pope as Antichrist. Um, the, the, the Lord's Supper is understood by Christ's institution, where he says that the bread is his body and the, blood, and, the, and the wine is his blood. And he tells us to eat and drink it in remembrance of him for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, the Roman Catholic Church agrees that it's the body and blood of Jesus, unlike other denominations who say that it's just a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus. And so we can thank God that, that, that the Roman Catholics at least confess that much, but it ends up, uh, what they end up doing with it is, is very problematic, and what they, they, they teach is that the, the Lord's Supper is something that God has given for us to offer back up to God as a way to kind of earn grace from God. So they kind of turn it into our work, whereby we merit grace from God. And, you know, they, 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 they used to call it a propitiatory sacrifice, which is something that, that appeases God and thereby gives us grace. And now you hear more about them talking, calling it a, a sacrifice of thanks, thanksgiving, but it really does the same thing to, you know, gain us merits for ourselves and for others. Um, and we flat out reject that because it confuses what God gives us with what we give God. And we're not—the Lord's Supper is a means of salvation where God gives to us the forgiveness of sins through the body and blood of His Son, which He puts on in our mouths to eat and to drink. It's a gift from God, and certainly when we do it, we're, we're, we thank God for it. But the main act that's going on in the Lord's Supper is God forgiving us our sins freely apart from any of our own merits. And what the Roman Catholic Church does is they turn it into our work, whereby we gain from God his favor. And so that's why you can have guys who, you know, let's say someone's in the hospital, and you can go to the priest and, and say, you know, say a Mass for, for, for my friend who's in the hospital. Well, he doesn't have to be there. To, to in their in their scheme to, to benefit from this mass because this is a good work that we're doing and is earning favor and so what they end up doing is stripping from uh, the uh, from the sacrament of the altar the Lord's Supper uh, that sure uh, certain promise given to you individually of the forgiveness of your sins because they add their own merits in with it. And uh, and that's related then to your other question. I don't know. Do you want me to comment on the Pope being the Antichrist? <laughs> well, let me start out with a statement here. You know, is is you know, I'm not Catholic. Obviously, I, I reject a lot of that theology. But by you no know, stretch do I consider Pope Francis to be an evil man or or to be the embodiment of, of the Antichrist? Am I wrong in this? Well, it it all depends on what you mean by what the Antichrist is. Um, I mean, I can, I have my Lutheran confessions here. I can, you know, while you were talking, I kind of went to uh, a part here um, in the, the, this, this document. Uh, one of our confessions, the Lutheran confessions, in the Book of Concord is called The Power and Primacy of the Pope, the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope. Now, Luther talks about this in a small called articles, and then the treatise is kind of added as an appendix to Luther's small called articles. 
Um, but Melanchthon wrote the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, and he begins by saying this, and I think that this helps clear things up, because we tend to think of the Antichrist as some, you know, political being like Nero, the Emperor Nero, or or Hitler, or Stalin, or something like that. Now, certainly they would be of sorts Antichrist, like certain Antichrist, but not simply because of the outward evil things that they do. So listen to what Melanchthon says here. He says, It is clear that the Roman pontiffs, with their, with their followers, defend godless doctrines and godless services, and the marks of Antichrist plainly agree with the kingdom of the Pope and his followers. For Paul, in describing Antichrist to the Thessalonians, uh, which he actually uses the word man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, calls him an enemy of Christ who, quote, opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. And, and that's, uh, end of quote. He is not speaking about heathen kings like Nero or, or Hitler or, or Stalin, but about someone ruling in the Church. He calls him the enemy of Christ because he will invent doctrine conflicting with the Gospel and will claim for himself divine authority. So um, we need to understand this as a spiritual thing. Now, Pope Francis and many popes before him uh, might say some very good things and defend some things that we defend, like, you know, being pro-life for traditional marriage and stuff like that. Um, but what, what makes the office of Pope, according to the Lutheran Confessions, um, the fulfillment of, Saint, of, of what St. Paul calls the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, is that he places himself as in the place of God in the Church. So he calls himself the Vicar of Christ, that is, the, the one who basically represents Christ over and above all other ministers and Christians in the Church. And he says then that it's necessary for salvation to be connected to him, the Pope. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and then in doing so, he, he rejects the central teaching of the Bible, that we are declared righteous before God through faith in Christ, apart from any other works. And, and this is in, you know, in, uh, uh, in the 16th century, the Council of Trent uh, said, anyone who teaches that a man is, is justified by faith, apart from any uh, moving of his own will, um, uh, apart from any works, let him be a curse, let him be anathema. And so as long as the office of Pope claims for itself that place in the Church, as the head of the Church, and then rejects the very center of the Christian faith, um, then that's what we mean by calling the Pope Antichrist. Now, this I would not recommend that the first conversation you have with your Catholic friend, <laughs> you bring up the Pope being the Antichrist. But I think as, 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 as Christians, as, as Lutherans, we, we shouldn't be afraid to to, to learn about this issue because it you know it has all kind of the Hollywood aspect to it at first we got to get that out of our head this is not about some heathen king this isn't about some you know trying to predict the end of the world um, by some like you know world war or something like that but rather this is a battle not against flesh and blood but uh, against the devil and and so like Luther um, at the end uh, so in Luther's Genesis or not Genesis uh, Galatians lectures which were probably one of his most well-known works. Um, his Galatians lectures, uh, in, written in the 1530s sometime, I think maybe around 1536, I may be wrong there, but uh, 
But anyway, at the end of, uh, I think it's about chapter chapter 3 or 4 in Galatians, he talks about the Pope and how the papacy, like the whole organization of the papacy of his time, allowed a lot of immoral stuff. And they did. And even the Catholics today will admit that, you know, the, the Popes before the Reformation were very evil, and many many of them even the Roman Catholic Church today will say we're not Christian, that they were imposters, um, and because they allowed fornication in the, mo- in the monasteries, and even more wicked things than that. And, and so what Luther, the point that Luther made in his, in his Galatians lectures it was, you know, the, the devil doesn't like it that the Pope allows all this stuff, because it doesn't help his cause. But he gave a warning for us that the time might come when the when the when the outward behavior of the pope is going to be much more pious and it's going to and and, and the devil's going to like that because it's going to help the devil's cause much better because you know utah i mean let's 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 leave the papacy alone for a minute let's go to the mormons go to the jehovah witnesses okay they are going to agree with you that god god created the world you know they're not going to they they're 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 going to they're going to agree with you that abortion is wrong, that homosexuality is a, is a perversion and a sin, that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. They're going to, you know, they're going to agree with you on many, many things that you hold dear. But what do they reject? They reject that central teaching that Christ alone, who is true God and man. And I mean, the, the, the Mormons and, 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 and the Jehovah Witnesses are, are, are even more radical, Obviously, at least the Pope. Uh, believes that Jesus is true God, but but you know that if you really look at their doctrine, it attacks the very heart of what keeps us uh, safe, you know, before God. Well, we have to we as Lutherans and as Christians, you know, the very basic tenet is that uh, is the concept of the of the triune God, the Trinity, three aspects of one Godhead. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a difficult concept to understand, but again, fortunately, you know, we understand the concept of mystery. And, you know, God does things in different ways. And this is something that, that all Christians should accept and I think do accept. Now, of course, we have problems with how this is translated and how and how people observe this. Uh, I was really interested in what you just said about the, uh, the writing where it said, well, one of these days the popes will will appear to be pious. Uh, I think maybe we're seeing that. I mean, the, the, the Catholic Church certainly has had a re-examination of its own status and its own positions. I think that was one of the aspects, one of the consequences of Luther's Reformation, was it forced the Catholics to take a long, hard look at themselves. And eventually they did make a lot of reforms, a lot of the reforms that uh, that Luther had called for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely, and uh, you know, at the same time, though, we you, we always got to remember how deceitful the devil is, and that you know. So, on the one hand, let's take um, even even when when the the Council of Trent came out in the 16th century, the later 16th century, you know, they said you know that, uh, for example, uh, they they kind of cracked down on the moral failures that were going on. Um, they talked about worship. Uh, the, the, the songs that are sung should emphasize the words and not just the music. You know, there, there were some things that Luther emphasized that even early on the Catholics, the Roman Catholics were kind of admitting that, yeah, yeah, we got to take care of this stuff. 
And remember, Luther wasn't the only one complaining about the moral failures of the Church. I mean, there was uh, Erasmus, who was one of uh, who who was a, a Roman Catholic theologian, um, or more more of a kind of a humanist scholar who went to the uh, humanists were those who who went to the original sources and did a lot of work on like New Testament, uh, Greek New Testament stuff like that. Even he was, you know, he he wrote this thing. Um, uh, you know, really criticizing the, the moral failures of the Church. So they, it, even without Luther, they knew that they needed to take care of this stuff. But fast forward then to Vatican II, which is probably what the listeners are more familiar with, in the, in the 1960s, you know, they decided, hey, let's, uh, let's allow the uh, uh, services to be in the vernacular, not just in Latin, um, that was something that that the Lutherans brought about that they sang hymns in 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 the language of the people. Um, but with that, though, with all that stuff, the devil is always in the details. And all, despite all of the positive changes that we might be able to find with the Roman Catholic Church, what also went along with it was sort of a um, the, the modernist. Uh, kind of uh, rationalism got into the mix, too. And so you have a lot of Roman Catholics to this day are teaching sort of some quasi-universalism, which says that, oh, well, apart from knowing who Jesus is, people can still be saved because they're somehow following their virtue and they're somehow, you know, somehow connected to Christ. And they were even entertaining this during the Council of Trent. And Martin Kenneth, who was a, a theologian, a Lutheran theologian, went after them for this, you know, in the late late 16th century. So there really isn't that much new under the sun. Yeah, they got some things right here and there. But as far as the doctrine that by faith alone, in Christ alone, a man is saved and declared righteous before God, they have not corrected themselves on that. They still deny that. And that's something that we need to beware of and not and, and, and be careful that we don't, you know, uh, 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 be deceived into thinking that, oh, well, um, you know, we can all just get along now. Um, now, I'd love for us to get along, and I think that if you have Catholic friends, you should do your best to get along with them, speak the truth in love, but don't assume that just because they, you know, maybe are, la- are more lax on certain things than they used to be, that they somehow are understanding the pure gospel of justification by faith alone, because that's not necessarily the case. Well, I think uh, one one thing I have had said to me a number of times, both by uh, Catholics and uh, by secularists, was, uh, well, you know, if you believe that you're saved, you have no incentive to do good works. and. Yeah. And yeah. that, that really riles me. For one thing, I work here at the International Center, and I see what we're doing with the disasters around the world, the aid that we're sending, the people that we're putting into harm's way to bring aid and, and relief to everyone, not just to Lutherans. I mean, we bring supplies in for anyone. And, boy, that, that really sort of frosts my cookies. <laughs> you know, the well, idea yeah. is that— Definitely. Well, and, you know, and when you look at look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, do your good works in secret. Let your, your Heavenly Father who sees in secret reward you. And then that is to say, you don't need to flaunt your good works. If you're not saved by good works, then you don't need to worry about whether your good works are good enough. You simply trust in God, and God accepts your good works because he's gracious. And, well, didn't Luther also you. say that the idea being that we, since we are saved through our faith, this frees us to show love to our neighbors. We don't have to appease God. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And 
uh, works, good works are a fruit of faith. They freely come out of faith. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle against our sinful flesh. We're still going to have that. And that's part of doing good works is battling against the sinful nature, which, you know, which, which wants us to fall into all kinds of sin and, and despair of God's mercy. But doing good works is a free response of the Spirit within us. So, you know, it's I was just watching this movie with my wife last night uh, called Martin Luther Heretic. It came out, I think, back in the 60s or 70s or something. Like I may be off on that, but but uh, but this is this line is kind of repeated in the more recent movie that came out about 10 or 15 years ago on Luther, where where Luther is explaining to his students about how we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone and not by works. And one of the students says, "So I can just do whatever I want." And then Luther responds, "Well, what do you want to do?" Yeah, that's the question. What is it that you want? You know, and that's what what faith gives you is faith gives you a desire to do what God wants. And so faith, faith alone justifies, but faith is never alone. It's busy and active and ready to do good works even before God tells it to. Well, I think, you know, this is one of the very basic problems, or or I shouldn't say problem, wrong word, uh, basic divisions between the LCMS and other Protestant and uh, Catholic uh, religions is that we recognize that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It's not yeah. really open to interpretation. For example, yeah. with the communion, I, the Bible says, this is my body. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say it represents my body, it is my body. That's right. That's right. Well, and we and what that means then, and, you know, I think what you're hitting on there is, is not just that we believe that the Bible alone is the authority. Now, even other Protestant denominations are going to agree with us there. But we believe that the Bible is clear, and, and that we that, that, that it's clear enough for us to know what it says. One thing that I, one assault, a subtle assault that I see on, um, uh, I remember seeing this actually on uh, President Harrison's blog that he had, I don't know if he still has it, but this was when he first got into office, and there was a guy uh, it was really sad to see it, but this guy commented under this post that this, he, he wrote, President Harrison wrote something about um, about the catechism or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he wrote, but this one guy wrote on there and said, you know, um, I really appreciate Luther and his interpretation of the Bible. I look at the, I look at the catechism as a, as a really good interpretation of the Bible, but it's just not my interpretation. Oops. And, uh, yeah, well, um, this guy at the time actually was claiming to be a, a Lutheran pastor, and so I think Harrison kind of, you know, contacted him and said, you got to get in touch with BP, and, you know, and, and he did a faithful job in dealing with that, I'm sure. Um, but uh, but that that's very subtle. If you, if you, if you see that, you know, he, he, um, he says that he, oh, he subscribes to the Lutheran Confessions to the uh, to the to Luther Small Catechism as a good interpretation. It's just not his. <laughs> and what that what we're dealing with is today, which I think most Protestant denominations, um, and uh, even we sometimes get get caught up in this, is this postmodern thought that that says that there's no ultimate truth, no objective truth to anything. It's all really in the eyes of the beholder, and whatever's true for you is good for you, you know, and, and we need to, this is why it's more important than ever that we acknowledge that the scriptures are the only authority for our doctrine and that they're clear and we can know what they say. And when we know that, how, 
how wonderful that is. I mean, we, we, we can actually know that when, when Paul says that we hold the demands justified by faith apart from the works of the law, that he's not just, you know, dancing around in some, some hidden perspective or whatever of his own. No, he's speaking for God, and we can take great refuge in that. It is, and it you know I, I'm really tickled when I hear that about uh, well that's not my interpretation. Okay, <laughs> are you a Lutheran or not? You know that's that's exactly. that's the question. Are you a Lutheran or are you not? And you know it's not that everybody's not entitled to their own opinion, but not everybody's entitled to their own truth. Yeah, I mean I'm not going to punch you in the face if you don't believe what I believe. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but you know that doesn't mean that I'm not going to tell you what God's Word says, and let God's Word judge you. Yeah. Because God's Word judges me. As St. You know, Peter says, uh, judgment begins at the household of God. You know, we judge ourselves by doctrine, and if we judge ourselves by doc, by, or by the Scriptures, we judge ourselves by the Scriptures, then we can judge everything else by the Scriptures, and not get our backs up against the wall. You know, St. Paul says, let your reasonableness, or your gentleness, or your meekness be known before men. You know, you don't need to you don't need to get into a shouting match, but just confess. Confess what God's Word says and, and rejoice in it. And if people don't believe it, well, pray that God, God's Word would do the work, because that's another thing that we believe about God's Word. If God's Word is if the Scriptures are the only norm and authority for our doctrine, if the Scriptures are clear, we also teach that the Holy Spirit works through the Scriptures, and only the Scriptures are going to convince them. Not our gimmicks, not our manipulation, none of that, none of our own works and abilities are going to convince people just like they don't save us but only the word of god only christ well, i've got some more questions i want to ask but uh, we're coming up on the bottom of the hour break and we will be right back in about two or three minutes Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org kit to download the Refugee Sunday kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org kit. Join KFUO for some worldview demolition as a roundtable of Missouri Synod pastors break out the hard hats, deconstruct the strongholds of bad opinions and false notions, and set up shop with the mighty fortress of God's Word. Every Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Central, Cross Defense hungers for the truth by studying Christian dogma, believing above all that when God speaks, it's a gift given so that we might speak it back. Cross Defense, where old school theologians never stop rocking on. Has your child swallowed your medicine, your laundry detergent, your nail polish remover? Call the Poison Helpline. Have you inhaled paint thinner, glue, pesticides? Call the Poison Helpline. Have a question about a dose, a fume, something your kid just drank? Call the Poison Helpline. Poisonings can happen at the home, on the job, or in the great outdoors. Call the Poison Helpline first for fast, free advice from medical professionals. Call 1-800-222-1222 anytime, anywhere. 1-800-222-1222. Save the number, save a life. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. The Bible has had an impact on every sphere, every facet of life, including science, the arts, government, literature, and languages. And it's the common holy text of Jews and Christians of people all around the world. This month, the Global Impact Bible will invite readers to see the Bible in a whole new light, to explore the Bible, to engage with it in thought-provoking questions and insightful information in pictures and illustrations. The Global Impact Bible is an engagement of discovery of the surprising and influential ways in which the Bible has impacted our lives and the world. And did you know Museum of the Bible opens in November just three blocks from the Capitol in Washington, D.C.? It's an invitation for all people to engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm host Kip Allen, and my guest pastor today is Andrew Price from St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. If you want to join the conversation, you're welcome. If you're in the St. Louis area, you can call us at area code 314-996. Excuse me, that is the wrong number. I'm looking at the wrong list here. Oh, dear. Heresy. It's uh, 314-8210-850. If you're in North America, you can call us toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Sorry about that, Pastor Price. I can't believe I read the wrong list. Yeah, I might have to bring you up on charges. Oh, gee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I want to get into into another uh, part of the Bible. No, we certainly, you know, I think we agree that the uh, the New Testament is certainly inerrant. Uh, this is the Word of God. This is this is what it is. This is truth. But let's go into the Old Testament a little bit. <clears throat> um, and this is a touchy question: Does a Lutheran have to be a creationist? Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's uh, not to mention it's in the Scriptures. It's confessed very clearly. In our uh, in our catechism, I believe that God has made me and all creatures, and He has given me my my eyes and ears and all my members, you know, and, and all that, and you know, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, now, I think now we mean the same thing when we say creationist. Yeah, that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Is that what you're saying? That, and it was only like six thousand years ago. Things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Um, I think that we should really ask ourselves, you know, go 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 to go to what Jesus says in, in you know in Matthew six. Um that uh I think it's Matthew six or yeah, Matthew six, yeah. Uh where he says that no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you if you're struggling with this issue of whether God, who raised Jesus from the dead, um created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, um, 
whether this is true, ask yourself, why am I struggling with this? Is it, is it because the world is telling me that it's not? And, well, you know, uh, the, the world is, uh, is enslaved to mammon. Now, to, to, to uh, respond to maybe some of the, the concerns that people might have, you know, you look at fossil records and stuff like that, all of these records that you can, that all, of, all of the empirical evidence that you can look at in science, in, in natural science, um, it all depends on what your first principle is. There, there you know, there, there is, uh, uh, there's, there's two fancy Latin words that you can, uh, you know, take home with you. There's a priori and then there's a posteriori. So a priori deals with your first principle. What is it that you, you go in believing already? And then a posteriori are the things that you can, you know, derive from empirical evidence. Um, so, for example, we as Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead because that is what the scriptures say. Um, now, you can, a posteriori, look at other evidence and, and, and consider, consider the evidence of, of the sources, both biblical and extra-biblical, and say, oh, okay, well, you know, this, this establishes what we already know from Scripture. So go to creation. We believe that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, um, because that's what the Bible says. Well, then you, you ask, well, what about, what about the fact that, that uh, you know, uh, stars are so many light years away, and, uh, and, and then you, you look at, uh, at, at the aging, you know, the carbon dating of certain things, and that shows millions of years and all that stuff. Well, um, there are, uh, if you look at the scriptures, you can see, okay, well, first of all, with the stars, God put them there. So why can't God, who raised Jesus from the dead, put stars billions of light years or trillions of light years away? Um, and, and then as far as the carbon dating goes, well, the, the, that can easily be, uh, you know, off-put by, you know, catastrophic events, you know, like a, like a flood or something like that. So I think that there's a lot of reason for us a posteriori as Christians to look and see you know, of the, of the of the outward evidence that, hey, you know, this actually doesn't contradict what we already believe. Um, but regardless of all that, the scriptures, uh, the scriptures record the, the 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 six days of creation, the seventh day of God resting, as history, and we, and 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 we can believe that not just because they're written in some book, but because this very book has proven itself to be true by God sending his Savior, the Savior of mankind, into the flesh to be our Savior. And as Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her children. The Scriptures are fulfilled. And, and, uh, and if the Scriptures are fulfilled, well, then the Scriptures, that, that just confirms that the Scriptures are true. So, so I would say yes. Now, I think that it's certainly possible for someone to be um, for someone to be uh, uh, misled on this issue, um, and, and yet still, through a, an inconsistency, hold to Christ as true God and man risen from the dead and died for their sins and, and trust in that. I mean, that certainly happens. Um, I think that you know, just like people can can uh, be confused on the body and blood of Jesus 
you know, being a symbol rather than actually being in the bread and the wine, as Jesus says, um, but still, you know, trust in God and fear God and 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 uh, and and, uh, and be saved. Um, so 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 it's 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 true that there are such things as as, as um, our, our old dogmatician from the Missouri Synod, Francis Pieper, would call it felicitous inconsistencies. It's a <laughs> joyful inconsistency that, thankfully, you're inconsistent and you don't actually take it all the way. But I would say that if you want to be consistent with Christian doctrine, um, if you want to be a faithful Lutheran, that y- you should take uh, Genesis 1 and 2 to be uh, uh, accurate records and literal records of what happened in the beginning. Well, let me, um, let me posit a couple of things here, and bear with me on this. And uh, to an extent, these are my own questions. To an extent, I'm playing, if you'll pardon the expression, devil's advocate. Uh, I can look at the resurrection or the life of Jesus, and there are two things there. One, there is absolutely no evidence that it didn't happen. And secondly, there is a lot of evidence, empirical evidence, that Jesus existed and that he indeed did rise from the dead. That can be established not just from the Bible, but from outside sources as well. I don't see where there's any doubt that anybody can go over this and say that it didn't happen. Uh, I look at the creation story, and yes, God is omnipotent. He could do whatever he wanted, certainly as the way that you had described, and certainly as as it is described in the Old Testament. The question to that, though, is that there is a lot of evidence that, empirical evidence, that it didn't happen that way, that indeed there there was another factor involved here. that maybe this is the way that God did it. These were tools that God used. Another thing is that when we talk about the days, six days, oh, we know that, that God's time is not our time. He measures it differently from us. Was this really a 24-hour day or is it something different? Uh, these are questions that I have, that God could have done that in six days. Not a doubt in my mind. He could certainly do it that way. But I wonder why there's all this contrary evidence where there's no contrary evidence about the life of Jesus and the resurrection. These, these, this is a question I have. Well, there is contrary evidence, depending on... See, all, again, it all depends on what your pre, preconceived notion is, uh, like also known as a priori knowledge. So, okay. so what, what is it that you go in believing? Now, you, you can say that there's, there's evidence that the fact that no one has ever... Uh, that, 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 that normally speaking, people don't rise from the dead. And that's, that's the same argument that someone like Richard Dawkins would make. Um, for, for, it's the same argument that he would make that God couldn't have created the world because we can't, you know, our reason can't, can't conceive of that. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but as far as the evidence against creation, again, I don't think that there is uh, evidence that necessarily is against what the Bible says. It all depends on what you, uh, on what your presupposition is. If your presupposition is that God can't be involved personally in history and that the the, the Genesis account can't be true, well then, yeah, certainly you can look at the empirical evidence um, of, uh, of of the fossil records and stuff like that and determine that, oh, well, this fits my scheme of Darwinian evolution or of some type of mix of Darwinian evolution and theistic evolution. Um, you can do that if you want, 
if that's your preconceived notion. But I think that in responding to people who claim this, we need to hold them to the same standard that they hold us. They hold, they say to us, well, you just believe this because this is what the Bible says. Well, we could turn it right back on them and say, well, you believe this because you don't believe the Bible. And, and so, so you can, you know, I remember, uh, uh, a few years ago when I was, well, more than a few years ago, but when I was in seminary, um, I was, I was studying the works of a, of a guy named, uh, George Hegel, who was a, who was a, a philosopher in the, in, in, in uh, Berlin, University of Berlin in Germany. I've, I've read who, some of his works. Okay. Yeah. So you're familiar with them. So yes. he, he's got, you know, he's got this idea of, 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 uh, God is really understood through the thoughts of men, and the spirit is the movement of history that works through this kind of progression in time that goes, you know, there's, there's two contradictory things that in time that, 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 that kind of go up against each other, that now you have, they, 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 they form sort of a synthesis, and then it progresses and progresses and progresses. Now, some of the guys who were very much influenced by Hegel were one, one guy was named uh, Frederick Christian Bauer, who uh, was a New Testament scholar who taught that, um, you know, Paul and Peter were two opposing views that eventually evolved into um, what we know as the New Testament. Another guy was Karl Marx, um, who <laughs> applied this principle to uh, kind of social um, political theory. Um, but another guy uh, was was uh, was uh, was Darwin, who applied this principle of progression to biology. And so it really, he was not, Darwin did not come to his, his, uh, his conclusion simply by looking at the empirical evidence. No, he came in with a preconceived notion about how things work, that they, they evolved. So, uh, you know, so, so, so I remember, uh, when I was, when I was studying this and my wife, who was uh, studying? Um, she was in. A, she was getting her master's in uh, um, like biostatistics, and uh, so she was studying statistics and biology at the same time. And she was reading this thing. Uh, I think it was in one of her textbooks um, about this this gene that is in both humans and in apes that ha- that was kind of altered in both of them. And so she came to me really kind of distraught about it, thinking, oh, man, well, then they're saying that this is proof that, that there's a common ancestor between humans and apes. And I said, okay, yeah, that's, that, I suppose you could make that conclusion if this is your preconceived notion that we have a con- common ancestor with humans, and, you know, that humans and apes have a common ancestor. But if that's not your preconceived notion, well, then you can have a perfectly reasonable uh, conclusion that well, humans and apes just happen to have some similar genes that were vulnerable to a certain obstruction. You know, so 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 it so it really all depends again on what your preconceived notion is, and we should not be intimidated by the world who worships mammon, and their only goal is to feed their own bellies and 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 to 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 give themselves a good conscience by their own vain virtue. Um, we shouldn't be intimidated by them. We should we should simply say, well, this is what the scriptures say, and if you have empirical evidence that points to your preconceived notion, well, we can just as easily show how it supports our preconceived notion. And uh, and and so 
so the, the question then goes back to, well, are the, are the scriptures valid? Well, how do we know that they're valid? What God said when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the devil, um, that came true. And, we, and it, was, it was testified by the prophets, and it was fulfilled by Christ. And, we can, and, and, and so, so we should not be intimidated at all by all this so-called empirical evidence that supports evolution, um, when it really doesn't, unless you believe in evolution. That's the only reason that, that, that it would really support it. Well, I look back at, uh, let's say, the trial of Galileo. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the uh, the Catholic in- Inquisitor said, "Well, this is what the this is what God has maintained that we are at the center of the universe." Galileo says, "No, we aren't. We only know now Galileo was right." Yeah, yeah. Well, and the Lutherans uh, did not condemn Galileo for that. Um, so there's, you know, that it all. This was this demonstrated. Um, a, a deficiency in how they understood how the scriptures speak. When the scriptures say that, for example, the sun, you know, we just talked about this in, in yeah. catechism class yesterday, you know, when, 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 uh, when the, uh, when the five, uh, kings in Canaan, um, attacked Joshua, and then the sun stood still and the moon stood still for 24 hours, um, because Joshua asked God to do it. Well, I explained to my catechumens that, well, the sun itself doesn't move, um, and, uh, and but 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 the the way that the scriptures speak is always from our perspective, and the, and they're not they're not untrue when they speak from our perspective because go back to the creation account, who is the last one to be created in creation? It's man both male and female. And then what does God say? He says, look, I have given you all of this. I've, I've prepared all of this for you. And so from our perspective, the universe does revolve around us. Now, uh, physiologically, we can point out that it technically doesn't, but that's beside the point. God has arranged everything in the universe to center on us. And that's why, at the fullness of time, he sent his son to be born of a woman and born under the law to redeem us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So as far as God is concerned, we are the center of the universe, but that's a theological statement. That's not a biological statement or a, or a, a physiological statement or, or an astronomical, however you would put astronomical. it. Astronomical statement. This is a statement... Uh, from the living voice of God, and so yeah, we can go and 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 uh, and and, uh, and and take issue with God's way of saying things to us, um, because we've discovered this limited amount of knowledge that God has so graciously allowed us to discover. But all we're doing is we're 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 just like you know when we say this to God, we're like crickets chirping at him. I mean, this is it's it's really just silly. God says that the sun stood still, and, and God says, um, you know, that the sun sets and the sun rises, and we still use this language. Why do we use it? Because from our perspective, that's what happens. Even though we know that, you know, in the, in the, in, in, in the actual, you know, physical uh, way of speaking, you know, the sun doesn't move, and 
the moon revolves around the 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 the, uh, the earth and the earth spins in its axle and all that stuff and that's great that we've been able to find that out but um this is not somehow a uh, a groundbreaking revelation that 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 well god is is uh it just doesn't know what he's talking about no god's talking to um He's talking to children. Yeah, you know? we're the ones who don't know what we're talking about. He's yeah, trying to put exactly. it in, into, for, into terms that we understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and think about it. Like, how do you explain this to your children? Are you seriously going to say to your three-year-old child? Now, I know you don't have children, but but just imagine if you have children, or let's say you're speaking to your nephews or nieces or or uh, you know or any child. Are you going to say? Well, uh, technically, the, uh, the, earth, you know, the, the earth actually revolves around the sun, and the sun doesn't actually move. And No, you're going to say, well, the sun sets at 6, you know, in, in November, and, uh, and it rises at, you know, at 5 or whatever. I don't even know. I don't get up that early. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's because you're not in broadcasting and you have to get up early and yeah, sign on the station. Right. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to speak in the way that a child is going to understand it. And when God speaks to us, he speaks to us as children. And it is true that the world revolves, that the universe revolves around us, because that's what, but, but it's, it's not, in a, like I said, in a physiological way, but rather in a theological way, that God has sent his son in the fulfillment of all history um, 2,000 years ago in the, in, in the womb of the Virgin Mary in order to be our Savior. That is what it's all about. And if, if we keep ourselves focused on that, then we can understand that the Bible is not some um, a science book. Um, and I want to be careful when I say that, because that's not to say that, 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 it, that we should divorce it somehow from what we see from science um, and, and have somehow like two different truths that we hold to. But, but the Bible doesn't speak um, always in uh, in. In, in the in the ways that 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 our recent natural sciences speak, and then there's a reason for that because the Bible is concerned about our salvation. It's not concerned about whether the sun revolves around the world or whether the world revolves around the sun. Well, one of the things that that has fascinated me is that more and more we are finding that science actually confirms the Bible. Uh, yeah. And we're finding evidence you know, in the Holy Land, for example. Who was Pontius Pilate? That was always a big argument. Well, he was just a fiction. No, he wasn't. We've now got yeah. archaeological evidence he existed. Uh, things like that. We've got, uh, in fact, there was a uh, one of the more recent discoveries that I'd read about was a, uh, a scroll, a handwritten uh, document of the Book of Mark going back to the first century. The first century. So yeah, I mean, th this has been around for a long time. Science is is really going in many aspects. I think is going hand in glove with theology. I think. Yeah, of so course. Sometimes I think maybe they're just simply two aspects of the same thing. Yeah, and science is uh, is is a dim reflection of what God perfectly mm. reveals in His Word. Um, and uh, and any yeah, you know, I was just reading this book. Um, I'm reading this book right now. Uh, Put up by uh, Luther Academy on uh, the Trinity, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of heavy reading for for a layman, but but I but, but it's uh, it's really good. And one of the things that he's, he's talking about right now uh, that, that what I'm reading right now near the beginning of the book, um, but he, he's talking about you know natural knowledge of God. It is not the fault of God 
and the natural revelation that we see around us that we don't know who God is. It's rather our fault. Yeah. You know, if, if we were truly pure, we could look around at our surroundings and look within our conscience and say, God is good, you know, and, and adore him and worship him perfectly, which is what we'll have in heaven. Um, but because of our sinful nature, we're limited. I mean, and think about that. Imagine one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is how Eve talked to a snake and that she wasn't kind of thinking, what, a snake's talking to me? This is weird. <laughs> you know, no, she, they, they, it makes sense. Yeah. Before the fall, they could communicate with the animals. Why not? You know, they, they had, their intellect was way far beyond ours because they didn't have sin. And the animals did, weren't corrupted by our sin either. And so it makes perfect sense that there would have been this, this very natural communication between man and the animals. Um, but we just can't conceive of that right now because we don't see it around us because we're all tainted with sin and the crops don't grow as they should and the weather doesn't always cooperate with us. Well, that's because of sin. So what's the moral of the story? Repent and believe in what the scriptures reveal and are fulfilled um, in Christ. Well, Pastor, we're coming into the last minute of the program. Uh, this has been a fascinating show. What are your thoughts at this point? What do you say to someone like me? Um, about about what? <clears throat> about, I have questions. I believe, but I have questions. Well, I would say, um, remember what the psalmist says. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And, uh, and when you read the scriptures and you acknowledge that this is God's word and you, and, and you recognize that God alone is he who kills and makes alive, then that's the beginning of your wisdom. And, uh, and, 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 and when you, and from there you can learn this, this, uh, this pure wisdom from the scriptures of, of Christ crucified for you. And from there, go out into your daily vocation and see how God's handiwork is in everything, and be patient. And if you don't understand it, that's just because you have your sinful nature. But don't despair, because God has rescued you from that. Amen. And so, so that, that should be our motivation. Well, I want to thank you so much. Uh, to our audience, you've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in, and today's guest pastor was Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. Every Friday, a pastor sits in with me for a friendly chat about, well, about whatever. And if you have messages or questions, well, you can email us or even call in. I want to thank the... Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Laud, and Honor as a theme song for Let's Talk. The Pastor is in, Pastor Bowie's music, and books are available at Amazon.com. I'm host Kip Allen, and I'm wishing you God's blessings. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.